Welcome back to Higher, everybody. The podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with and from experts in recruitment, entrepreneurship, marketing, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry. But first, hit that beat, Tom Zanzao. Look at me, look at me, I'm running so fast. You're seated right in front of me. Yes, but I could be running really fast if I wanted to. Have you been doing sprint training? No. Have you been hitting that elliptical? No. Have you been watching Tom Cruise movies and not copying his running technique? No, last try. Do you have new shoes? Yes! Oh my god, what are they? Nike! No way. Yes way! Run, girl. I will, towards finally starting this episode. <laughs> Wanda Rotswadowska, Senior Sales Director at Nike, is going to invite us into the world of big corporate. And show us all the ways in which you can navigate your career like you would an obstacle course. Follow us on Instagram at Go Higher Podcast, share the love, and let's go get it. We've got Vanda in the building. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you on the on the show. We know a lot about you already, but we'd love our listeners to hear directly from you all about yourself and how you ended up in the corporate world. Hi, Tom. Hi, Nikki. It's great to be included. Thank you. Um, I'm a mom of three wild and wonderful kids, a seven-year-old, five- and two-year-old. I'm a wife, a recovering athlete, now obsessed with doing anything outdoors, most especially you can find me on on skis, on snow in the winter and, and behind a boat in the summer. And I'm deeply passionate about create, creating opportunities in sport for the next generation, currently working at Nike at the world headquarters on the commercial side of the business. I was born in South Africa, immigrated to Canada when I was six years old with my parents and three siblings, where I spent an amazing childhood in a small ski town. And since then, um, life, academics, sport, career has taken me to the USA, France, back to Canada, Switzerland, and then back to the USA where I currently live on the West Coast in the beautiful city of Portland in the state of Oregon. And I've spent the last 15 years working in sports in a bunch of different roles and sectors within the sport industry. That sounds delicious. A true globe trotter. You know, I miss those times as well. I used to travel around um, nonstop and live in different countries, absorb different cultures. So the audience is at this stage very aware of our sneaky um, behaviors. But um, we were asking, we are going to ask you to please withhold three of your most prized tips for how to actually slay a career in corporate until the end of this episode so that everybody has to by default stay on zooming forward and your podcast player is not allowed everybody so before however we hop into your you know your career at nike and what it means to work in sales we want to dive a little bit deeper into your story so everyone's path starts somewhere you don't just um, you know hop out of the cradle and start working so give us the rundown who were you before nike professionally yeah, my my um my career, my entire life, in fact, I'd say in retrospect, has been guided by an obsession with sport. Everything I did up until I was twenty five was almost exclusively driven by sport and chasing, you know, the rush of of setting goals and and achieving goals and all the happy byproducts of that, like traveling the world through sport, the friends and community 
you make along the way. And after I retired from college, national team and, and pro soccer career, I let that same obsession for sport continue to guide me. But certainly the mindset mindset shifted to to be less about me, perhaps, and more about this idea of sport as a transformational force. It certainly transformed my world. And it, it is so universal and universal that when channeled right can make the world a, a better place and move it forward. So I, I had a deep pull to want to contribute to stoking that. So my early career, my my 20s was was all about saying yes to jobs and sport. It was a, a bit like dating the sport industry, getting to know it. And that series of yeses took me to a, a role in, in marketing at a humanitarian sport organization called Right to Play that partners with the United Nations to rebuild communities around the world who have lived through war or climate crisis. Um, then I took an operations role working with high performance sports teams that evolved into a event management role with the FIS World Cup ski events. And I later spent time in sports media and collegiate sports driving communications and PR strategies for sports teams. That ultimately led me to to chase a dream to work with Nike, who's at the center of sport globally and a brand I had a, a personal affinity with as a high schooler. I'll never forget when Nike launched Mia Hamm's signature soccer cleat. And and earlier than that, the if you let her play ad, if anyone's familiar with that. So I've yeah, been yeah. at I've been at Nike now for for ten years and remain deeply inspired with the um, power of sport and the role Nike plays to grow sport. That's amazing. What a journey as well. A bit like me jumping all over the place. And we, you know, we might talk later. We did do the same masters in Switzerland. But we also want to talk about transferable skills. We talk a lot about that on our podcast and what you can bring, even if you've just started your career, especially from sport. And I think that's something we can take from your journey, especially. Um, what what sort of skills you have taken from sport and what you're into your corporate world now? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. And certainly, I think for anyone out there who's um, looking to, to transition from sport um, to business has a, has a lot to offer. It's really just a matter of, of um, reflecting and thinking about it. I'd say a few things. One is um, do what you can quickly to, to build personal credibility within your, your organization. To me, this is, this is about um, first mastering the fundamentals of the role you need to deliver on you know, absolutely nail the nuts and bolts of your role consistent, consistently and then start blowing away expectations by bringing some some innovation into into the, the work you do. And there's certainly kind of analogies back to, to sport and a sports team in that sense. Um, then I'd say as you work to as you work to evolve um, your work, bring people along with you, you know, find find those with common goals or or prove to them why they should care about where you want to take the, the work and, and build a sense of, of shared faith. fate. You know, on, on a soccer pitch, everyone knows what the, the end game is, is to score goals and, and win games. Um, so kind of taking that same idea of, of, of shared fate into the, the workplace. I, and then maybe, the, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, rude interruption. Please keep going. <laughs> I was just uh, going to suggest a, another one, which is be an energy giver. You know, let your passion shine through your passion for the work, the vision, the brand, the the team, whatever it might be. And, and that passion will will be infectious and you'll be you'll be fun to work with. So I'd say to summarize those three things, you know, personal credibility, um, shared fate and, and have fun. It creates a virtuous cycle for you and will help you stand out. 
I should have known that you had uh, a pair, you know, a triplet here because all good communicators, <laughs> which is what salespeople are, we always talk in um, we always talk in threes because for some reason people can uh, remember uneven numbers better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also what is so striking about what you just told us is that no matter how big the universe, whether you think about your entire life as your career journey or just a specific position, we keep hearing from our guests these same um, uh, these same recommendations. You know, mastery, build network share and you will receive back so i love that this is being mirrored in what you're telling us as well so i'm already so impressed i mean you know after your time in sports and you've been sort of you know attached in the outskirts of the un system um, through the humanitarian work that you've done and so many others you suddenly find yourself in a large corporate did you have a bit of a culture shock when you entered um what um struck you in as in particular as unique about that um about that sector as opposed to where you've worked in the past yeah great great question tom i i would start by saying corporate is awesome big you have <laughs> oh, big teams it. you know doing incredible work at scale with very real impact to people, communities, the world. It's power that's powerful stuff. It's inspiring. I'd also say <laughs> that to experience it in a in a positive way, it has to be the right fit. And by by right fit, I mean, you know, does it tick the box of um the way I look at it, thanks to a mentor of mine, is is the three Ps, and that's passion, projects, and and people. Is it aligned to something you are passionate about? You know, for Nike, that's making sport a daily habit. Disney, it's entertaining through storytelling and and Bumble, it's empowering women to make the first move. So are you passionate about the work? And then and then projects. Do you like the nuts and bolts of the work? Like is it maximizing your expertise and talent? Is it teaching you a new a new skill set? And then the third P um people. Does the company have an amazing employee culture and leadership? Some things important to me in that sense are is the culture open? Are people curious? Are new ideas listened to? Can people speak openly and candidly and courageously? Are people tenacious and optimistic? Are they respectful? Are the teams diverse? You know, and all the many definitions of diversity. So that only you can, you know, can can um, kind of pencil out what what those three P's are. But I'd say that's a, a super important part of of making the corporate experience um, a positive one. But if I'm being honest, at the start of my corporate career, I definitely felt a bit like a, a fish out of water. I, <laughs> I, I didn't feel um, totally welcomed. I didn't feel valued or, or even invited in. And I think some of that was certainly self-inflicted. Nike is, is made up of incredible talent with deep, deep expertise in brand marketing, sales, merchandising. And here I was a, a sport industry generalist, you know, with no deep functional expertise. And And I started my career um, later than most because I was playing competitive soccer until I was 25. So naturally, I felt a bit behind the curve as compared to to those around me. So I spent a a solid five years building expertise and trust and and credibility within the company. And that that built my confidence up. And I I started to build a reputation for my work. And and at that point, you know, my just emerging leadership of of teams and, and strategy. 
that's phenomenal. So um, I have a quick follow up question um, yeah. about about because you just you, you triggered something in me when you spoke about specialists versus generalists. It's sort of the academics of this world um, keep debating about what is more valuable in the job market. You need to be malleable. You need to be flexible. You have to shift and change industries quite quickly. But in order to be respected in your field, you also need to have a field. Um, what is your take on that? What are the things that you're highly specialized on and what are some of the baseline skills you think anybody that wants to make it in corporate needs to have? Yeah, I think there's certainly value in, in deep functional um, expertise. I think at the end of the day, it all just depends on what your own goals are. You know, what's your what's your end game? And um, I think, you know, traveling kind of laterally across functions um, is a huge value add because you, you start to build empathy for the, the organization and, and some of the key stakeholders you partner with um, in, in, in future roles. And and, and you know, like you, you don't have to spend a ton of time in another function, but like just enough to be dangerous. And then you can always hop back to your your main your main um, function of, of expertise. Just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I'm going to follow on with. Well, I think you've both kind of touched on my question a little bit. Um, and I've worked in the sports industry as well, you know, on the in the federations world, which you have, too. And it is quite different. Right. Um, yeah. As you've mentioned and and you know, are there similarities uh, similarities still or are, are they so different that it's quite scary? Because I found it quite scary going into corporate and then I found out actually it's not so bad. So what are the similarities and what are the differences? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, it's certainly a different a different vibe in, in many ways. And I think in, in big corporate companies, it can, it can be a, a different beast to you know, things like building strategy, it can often feel more tops down where, whereas in smaller companies, it can be easier to, um, to kind of crowd crowdsource energy and, and have everyone be involved and in, in input, you know, strategy is the the thread that, that binds everyone and, and ultimately determines their output and action. And, and, and in a big company, how do you make sure that that thread reaches everyone and that they are brought into that strategy? I think it requires being more intentional about how you create and energize around strategy in a, in a scaled way with more bigger um, teams. And, and part of that is, is how you work the process. You know, any good scaled company will have a deeply ingrained process from product creation at the beginning all the way to go to market. And essentially that process drives how a company makes plans, sells and, and ships product. So balancing how you you know, respect the integrity of, of that process with making sure it's also not too bureaucra bureaucratic and and slow to kind of ju juxtapose it against a smaller organization. You know, working in an, an office of five people at Right to Play um, when I was in, in a, a marketing manager role, um, I could walk five steps to the managing director's <laughs> office to request a, a budget increase, you know, with a pitch that like I just created in my head 30 minutes later. But that process at a, at a $30 billion company with 20,000 corporate employees like Nike is, is quite different. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very different. <laughs> Scale certainly is different, but not only in terms of how many people actually work there, but as you mentioned before, and I love this point so much, the complexity of that machine, how many sort of, you know, if you imagine you're working at a conveyor belt trying to make a sandwich, the corporate one has... 1000 layers and you'd kind of need yeah. to understand how long does it take for the bread to bake before mm. actually you can put the cheese on it um is the lettuce washed and ready where is it actually happening at the moment so you need to you know having this cross-functional expertise has helped me lots my last position was in communications but i've worked in marketing sales product development so i knew how long it took to 
acid wash mm-hmm. a new printing roller for like a piece of packaging <laughs> so the you know the cops people would say oh my goodness we want this thing tomorrow and we know it's going to take six months though mm-hmm. um so let's cruise straight on and let's talk about a big taboo which is self-promotion i personally believe that it's part of your unwritten job description to ensure that people see your brilliance and that you're out that you're creating output as an employee um how do you think about that and do you have any hot advice on how to self-promote without seeming um arrogant or upshot especially as a career starter uh, yeah that's a great question and I- i'm an inter introvert so you can imagine the the thought of self-promotion and even the the idea of networking, even internal network isn't exactly awesome to me. I'm not I'm not sprinting to set up times with people to to socialize and, and, and chat. But I think there's a few ways you can you can approach this, you know, whether you're you're an introverted or extroverted. And and one is is kind of like a sideline approach, you know, in one on one one on one sessions. Um, I do get inspired with the notion of of trading ideas with people finding a mutually relevant topic that you can both equally share perspectives perspective on perspectives that's a tough word this morning perspectives <laughs> on um for example like what's a what's a current business challenge you might have and, and who might also be seeking solves in that in in an in adjacent business so um uh connect with them you know use that as like your 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 common ground um the excuse to to connect and and see what you can learn from their experience see what what you can what teach teach them and, and and better yet if that person is also someone that can influence your career path um but i'd say you know stay authentic connect in a way that feels right to you and 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 share your work in ways that help others yeah we've we've had that from some of our other um guests as well you know be authentic especially it's kind of a running team I think with us and the really good one as well is to, to when you want to connect with someone try and find something that you're, you've got a common you know interest in even if it's just like sport right so maybe they played soccer and you can like at least you can talk about that and then bring in what you really want to discuss after that I think that's a really good tip too um also we heard about you know in the interview even asking what career development is in the company like that's quite a tough question to ask as well but it's showing your your want to be there it's showing your drive to to continue your your career is there any anything else that you might have done or you've heard people have done to help self-promote themselves especially Mm. at that early stage you know when you first joined the company yeah that's a good one um you know, I don't know that I often, you know, early on in my career even thought of asking a question like that. So it's great you bring it up for, for all your listeners. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, I don't know if this will answer the question directly, but I'm a big, big, big believer in, um, in representation matters. You know, the idea that you need to, to see it, to believe it. And there have been many moments in my life, like, like many other people for sure, where, where I saw someone doing something and then decided that I wanted to do that, you know, as early on as, as when I was a kid, I, I, loved playing soccer but I was one of the few girls uh, amongst most mostly boys um, and then there was this day where, where I spotted someone that looked like me a girl achieving in it her name was Erin in the small town I grew up in and, and she was the, the best player on the field of which everyone else was a boy and she was the first girl I ever heard about that won a sports scholarship to to play at university and then that would kind of take me through this like holy shit moment of realizing that wait a second I can actually be a soccer player why not and that would fire me right up. And, and, and so for, for a long time, and where, where I'm trying to take this is that for a long time, it was about, about proving, proving myself, you know, there were, 
there were other moments too where someone sparked a, a sense of possibility in me and then I would become obsessed with the, the pursuit to achieve it. My my high school counselor actually laughed at me when I told her I wanted to play soccer on a on a scholarship at, at one of the top 10, 10 schools. So it was actually a fun and cheeky full cir- circle moment when six or seven years later I I saw my high school counselor again and made sure I wore my championship ring from <laughs> oh, winning the yes. NCAA trophy. I, I promise I'm not usually um that spiteful, <laughs> but but now to kind of like go back to your your question of career development, I'd say now thankfully 15 years into my career I've evolved somewhat and it's now less about proving myself and more about improving myself. So it's it's more about continuing to learn, you know, build on knowledge gaps and and skill sets that you need to grow for that next role you aspire to and read books on the topic, take courses. Not all courses need to be large investments like like business school courses. You know, there's lots of lots of resources available for free through things like um, LinkedIn Learning. Do stretch projects, you know, to sort of test drive new spaces that might be of interest to you. And, 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 and that also gets you visibility to new leaders that can help you on your career path. I love how you mentioned visibility and how it matters, because I think we often forget that actually there has been many female athletes, especially, you know, you said you saw a young kid and you went, I want to be like her. Um, And we forget that they don't have to be necessarily in the media all the time. It can be a local person. Right. So mm. I think we tend to forget that quite a lot, especially as female athletes. There, there are quite a lot of people around you. And you also have to remember you're also being seen by younger people as well. Right. Um, And you can become and I think this is going to tie nicely into the next topic of mentorship and and how you can be mentored and be a mentor and sometimes you don't even know you're doing it Mm. (laughs) at times so which is i think a fantastic point so aaron if you're listening if you're out there somewhere without knowing you have birthed a star okay (laughs) so let's keep uh, let's keep sharing the other point that you mentioned about career development it's such a it's such a fiddly thing sometimes because you're um you're employed you don't want to ask for too much you don't want to become annoying to people um because most companies have internal career development programs as well so just finding out what intranet page is on is already a huge achievement but as you said there's free stuff out there and you have to remain in charge of it if and uh, know where you actually want to go so my you know my two cents worth on this is don't wait if you don't ask you don't get either if you don't ask you don't get (laughs) don't wait and you know go get it take it for yourself um about the self-promotion piece that's something that you have to actively do obviously but nothing is more delicious than social proof which brings me um, to the next piece which is mentorship you know and uh, i know a little bit about you um but in your own words what is mentorship about and why does it matter Mm, I love that you bring that up. Yeah, mentorship um, and, and even reverse mentorship, you know, is is it's pretty simple um, in my simple brain. It, it's really just a thought, a thought <laughs> partnership. You know, it's someone you can lean on to challenge your ideas, widen your aperture, expand your perspective. And, and because of this, I think it's important too to think about things like diversity and inclu- inclusion. You know, ask yourself: Am I encouraging a diversity in thought, a diversity in lived experience, diversity in expertise areas? You know, recently, I had I had someone reach out to me to ask if I would consider engaging in a mentor-mentee relationship with him because he'd been doing some introspection and realized all of his mentors looked exactly like him. So I'm I'm encouraged by that and hope more people are seeking diverse thought partnerships through mentor mentee friendships and for anyone in a in a place of of privilege you know ask yourself are you mentoring sponsoring or being mentored sponsored by people who don't look like you 
in the same way you are with people who do look like you? Do you um, show up and, and listen generously, generously with them? Do you descent to yourself? Do you shift the spotlight that often can automatically get, get shone on, on you to others less, less privileged? I'd, I'd say ultimately, you know, being intentional about a, a mentor network can create sort of this grounding wisdom for you. And uh, we know you've had a few mentors, right, throughout your, your career. And I think maybe a little bit more concrete examples of what they've done to help you would be really helpful for, for our listeners. So can you mm. go into that a little bit deeper for us? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, similar to the, the approach we talked about around self-promotion tactics earlier on, just reach out to people to, to trade ideas, be a thought partner, find ways to also help them. You know, be generous with your energy, be consistent, um, find reasons to stay connected and, and add value to their lives, too. And, and be, be intentional about who and why and and build out a sort of um, someone wants to describe it to me as as a personal board of directors for yourself. And and mentors, um, it might be odd to say, but I, I believe they can also be people you've never met. You know, there's this incredible leader in the DEI space named Lily Zhang that I followed on LinkedIn. She's super active there and I learned so much from from her. So find leaders you, you want to learn from and, and follow them. But you found one of your mentors through when you were working as a barista, right? Can you tell us about that? Mm. Because <laughs> yes, I think that's, that's a really right. interesting yes. story and how, you know, yes. they can come from anywhere. They could be just right beside you in the coffee shop. But, yes. you know, you just don't know if you don't ask. Right. Yes. One of my, my one of my first jobs, um, I was still a competitive soccer player. So I needed a job that gave me some flexibility to 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 go to practice in games. And um, this guy w- would walk in every morning and, and, and order a soy a soy latte. And he also had a Every every time he came in, he he seemed to have a different polo with a different sports organization logo on the the chest. And I knew I wanted to work in sports, but I didn't know much about the industry and and what opportunity opportunities were out there. So one day I I decided to just uh, you know ask him like, can I can I buy your latte for you today if you'll sit for ten minutes and and while you drink it and just let me pick your brain about what you do and. Um, and, and how to get into the industry. And, and he, he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, we spent time together and that ultimately evolved to him um, offering me a, a, you know, like an hourly contract job um, working with him at the time he was working for the Vancouver Olympic bid committee. Um, and, and that evolved into summer internships. And I, I owe Richard a lot in terms of um, the exposure he gave to me, the awareness about the sports industry and and ultimately like kicking off my career in sports. That is incredible. You know, um, not to be too metaphysical about this, we have talked about manifestation a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But really what it does is if you know roughly what you want, if you have an idea, then your view will focus on the things that sort of like otherwise would pass unnoticed um, yeah. through your life and you'll be able to zero in on opportunities like this. So wonderful story. I love when moments like this just magically happen. So... <laughs> What have we talked about? Let's see. Let's see. We have talked about self-promotion. We've talked about your story. We've talked about what is it like to actually be in a large corporate? What is the vibe, the culture? Um, you've spoken about your three Ps, which stand in competition to my three Ps, which is people, planet, and profit, maybe a fourth mm. one, purpose. But I would love to dive into what is sales? What does this mean? For any of our listeners out there that have uh, an idea or no idea, but might want to pursue a career in this space, so 
you've had multiple different positions leading up to your current uh, role in sales as a director, no less. So break it down for us. What departments did you work in previously and what do these departments do um, in the big machine that is the corporate? Mm, yeah, um, my first my first role at, at Nike was in sports marketing, and and that was all about managing sponsored athletes and and teams. And uh, one of the highlights from that role was being the lead pro- project manager for a ten day preseason training camp for Manchester City FC, one of the biggest clubs in the English Premier League, stating the obvious, um, at the Nike World Headquarters in Portland during the Mancini era. Then I quickly transitioned to merchandising, which was a function I didn't know much, if anything, about. And and the transition started long before I actually left my marketing role. Part of my role in marketing was working with our sponsored athletes, matching product to their playing style so we could best get them kitted out with all the gear they needed. Um, this gave me exposure to product and and features and benefits of the product for athletes. And, and my partner in this process of matching gear to athlete was the merchandising manager. I discovered through that process that I had a love of product um, and wanted to work closer to it. The, the merch manager and I also had a great working relationship. And when a job opened up on his team, he asked me to apply um, I owe him a lot. He ushered me into the, into a space that I would spend much of my career so far in. I essentially grew up professionally at, at Nike in the merchandising organization. And merchandising at, at its core is about um, curating curating product to a consumer cohort. So it's a, a balance of art and science in, in that a successful merchant will be consumer-centric, can get ahead of trends, you know, both consumer and market trends and create beautiful assortments that come to life in retail for the consumer to shop you know that's the the art side of it and then the the science side of it is is making sure those beautiful assortments are tied to financial plans are profitable and and productive and and one of my favorite moments as a as a merchant at Nike was being part of the team that brought the Serena Williams French Open cat suit to market no way paired with, paired with um sparkling signature <gasps> Serena shoes. It, it was an amazing moment. While all credit goes to the product creation team who who made it as a merchant, our contribution to the pro- project was advocating for consumers, tennis players that might be inspired by Serena's one piece and also its its powerful <laughs> message, which was, you know, her her relentless drive to break break barriers in in tennis and move the move the traditional world of tennis forward. So we, it was our job to make sure we had inspired by Serena One Piece options, you know, at appropriate price points that were in retail at tennis shops and Nike stores at the time, at the same time that Serena would step out onto the court at the French Open to, to wear her, her cat suit at Roland Garros. What an incredible job. <laughs> I don't want to do this. That is so cool. And um, did they sell many? Um, I'd say it's a bit of a niche opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but incredible. And just a, like you said, like something different, something new, something she owned so well. I just love that. And she hasn't stopped really. <laughs> she, she, no, they get more outrageous as they go along. <laughs> she, she's brilliant. Yeah, It's awesome. Um, and then, um, sorry, go on. Oh, I then spent time in, in strategy and essentially there you, you act as a consultant that is, um, helping to frame the frame up business problems, build a perspective on on a case for change and, and then propose action plans for the future. It 
strategy can offer visibility into a broad, broad part of the business. You know, it's often oriented um, cross-functionally and, and often with senior leaders who are who are driving the strategy. But but on the flip side, you're you are a consultant, so you don't see your work through and your work may or may not be adopted. Um, but I think any role in strategy can give a strong foundation um, in how and how to think about problems and, and build out solutions. You mentioned a director's world there, you know, s- senior director, actually, Tom, not I'm just sorry. director. <laughs> what an amazing job. You've been there for three years now, right? Around that. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we would love to know what else the sales function does and, and, and how the details, a bit more details into that. And also the mysterious world of directors, because, you know, I'm working in corporate too, and directors seem a little bit mysterious. And we just want to know what exactly they get up to. <laughs> well sales big picture is um it's all about relationships and 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 strategy alignment you know a a beautiful partnership between two brands will be one that's in sync a a shared overarching ambition shared objectives and 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 a certain um uh complementarity if you will to 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 where it's a win-win for both that's where much of my focus is in my role um as well as developing team and, and removing road, roadblocks to enable them to do their best work. If I describe my current team to your question about, you know, what does sales do? If, if I describe my current team and, and what they're responsible for, they are full of bravery, initiative, excitement. They're people who use empathy. It's essentially understanding the, the customer to pitch a plan that, that works. They have strong product and marketplace expertise. And, and what I mean by that is they can they can pitch the, the features and benefits of, of a and a story of a product and, and what problems it's solving for the consumer with a suggestion on on how the product fits into the partner retail strategy. You know, things like what stores should they show up at, assorted with what other product, at what depth of buy. Um they're absolutely results oriented. I mean, results in sales are, are quite black and white. You know, the KPIs tend to be financially driven. And there's this great energy in sales because good sales teams tend to be energized by the brand, product, or or service they're they're selling. And, and the goal of the goal of sales meetings, both internally and externally, is to build hype and passion. So a lot of the time it feels like a big party. And and I'd say in some in summary in sales, it's it's to have fun, create value, and and make money. Wow, you sound, make it sound so sexy. I just want to work in sales now. <laughs> Me too. I have already. It's a great Tom time. has already, but a different type. Um, what else? I guess we want to know like a little bit more. What else? I mean, you've kind of gone into what other parts of the business you touch, but what other, what other careers can you have from, from sales? Can you move around? Um, are there any other, what's the sort of career path for it? Um, well, if you're, if you're, someone with ambition to get into sales i'd say any any retail experience is absolutely invaluable like on the floor as a sales associate talking to consumers it it grows your understanding in so many ways of things like shopping habits purchase intent consumer mindsets visual merchandising um inventory management you know you're there touching and feeling the the product as you fold it and and merchandise it and you're learning about the features and benefits and what what consumers value how much they're willing to pay for it why they why do they buy it why don't they buy it all that good stuff builds a a very consumer centric retail foundation for you that you can then translate into into sales strategies i'd say get comfortable with numbers would be the second thing um you know things like excel tableau and retail math 
And then nurture, nurture strengths and communication to help you learn how to sell ideas and plans, even 30 minutes a day listening um, to, to people like Dan Pink or Jill Conrath can, can um, yeah, they're amazing. help you in that space. What I love so much about what you just told us is that corporate oftentimes has um, labels attached to it. So you work in sales or you work in marketing, you work in brand building um, or you work in supply chain and distribution. But actually, um, you just mentioned things that have to do with um, consumer relations management, um, marketing, sales, uh, funnel, um, consumer research, insights, you know, all of these things sort of live in the periphery um, of sales and within sales. And you can always spin out of this very strong, you know, base pillar that is the sales function into any of these other areas that interest you more. So, ooh, my mind is entirely <laughs> blown. Wow, Vanda, what a show. Um, what a wonderful episode. You've given us so much to think about. Yes, and as promised, we were going to keep some special top tips and secrets of the world, of the of corporate world, um, till the end. So can you go into those? And we have three, I hope. I'm sure you have many more, but if we can keep it in three, it would be absolutely amazing. Sure, I, and I don't know that, that they'll be um, totally mind-blowing, but hopefully they're helpful for, for, for <laughs> someone out there. I, I would start with first... Um, I'd invite you to consider your career as a journey, not so much a, a destination. And that might sound cheesy, like a, a self-help poster. But what I mean by that is in, instead of focusing on a specific role you want, like, for example, I want to be a retail associate at Apple. Instead, I'd suggest be clear on the impact you want to have, which might be I want to help people find electronic solutions to enable their best work. And then focus on finding roles that help you achieve that impact. It can, it can also widen the aperture to job opportunities that might fit that brief that you may never have thought of if you were too laser focused on landing a specific job title. I love that. One in the bag, two to go. <laughs> the second is um, do the work to get deep self-awareness. Line up um, your passion with projects and you'll absolutely be a better teammate and a, and a better leader. And then trust yourself, trust your instincts and, and confidently lean into your power to drive change, to speak up for yourself or as an ally for someone else or for a point of view you have on a, on a project. When I see people that are most effective at shaping the conditions around them, whether it's growing a team or a business, they tend to be people who are operating at high levels of self-awareness of their strengths, their soft spots, even where they might need help from teammates, their patterns on how they show up in, in times of adversity or ambiguity. So know yourself to trust yourself and then throw that healthy confidence around to, to shape the conditions around you. And the, the third, um, related to the last one, I'd say be careful who you get your advice from. Know your values and goals and straight, stay true to that. Su success to me is, is living your values, not just achieving your goals in the sense of role, title, income. What's important to you, you know, it could be job title, paycheck. Do you love what you do? Do you have flexibility, enough free time to to maintain physical health, mental health. And none of those are, are right or wrong. So, you know, sometimes you got to go get the money, but other times it might be more important to you to really love the work you're doing. And, and the point is to be true to you. 
Mm. Don't measure yourself with someone else's measuring stick. You know, there's a there's a Gandhi quote I read in a book off my parents' bookshelf when I was still living at home as a student, and I wrote it down on a card that I still have still have today. And and that quote is, "My life is my message." Very fitting thing for Gandhi to say, and and also something for us all to consider. You know, what will you, what will I do today to to clarify and amplify your message? And, and choose wisely. What is your message? And then review, repeat daily and forever. Wow, Vanda, thank you so much for your many wisdoms. This is your moment to send a final and last message to our audience members um, out in the ether. If you have one of oh, the Gandhi quote was pretty fierce. <laughs> <laughs> Keep listening to Tom and Nikki. I love the work you're doing and, and so happy <laughs> to be you. a part of it. Thank you for having me. This has been such a fun episode. Be sure to get over to our Instagram, Go Higher Podcast, to follow all the behind the scene antics, our additional resources, articles we love, and our Thirsty Thursday words of wisdom. Next up on the podcast is Ben Brooks talking all about human resources what it is, why does it matter, and why you would want to work in it. Let's go get it.